Coming up on today's message with Pastor Johnny. We are citizens of another place. And we need to bring where we're from to where we're at. Ah, well, what what you bind on earth, you bind in heaven. I got got some, some Bible for that. What you loose on earth, you loose in heaven. This is not just about the by and by. We may be citizens of heaven, but we are in earth and we ought to, instead of work being worried about what's going to happen in the great by and by, be bringing some of that heaven here on earth. We ought to be bringing that many are the righteous are forsaken, but the Lord will carry us through to have that on earth. We ought to be bringing some of that, that we are the head and not the tail, that we are above and never be beneath. We are the lender and not the borrower. We ought to be bringing some of that back to where we are at. We ought to be bringing that we are blessed in the city and blessed in the field and blessed where we come and blessed where we go. We ought to be bringing all of that back to where we are. chapter first verse again that is Philippians 3 17 reading to 4 1 hear ye the word of the Lord brethren join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we so also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to this glorious body according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved, and long for, brethren, my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. God's word for God's people and God's people said amen. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, For the time that is ours to share together, I want to talk a little bit about frontier Christians. Frontier Christians. The frontier is a place that makes me think of dusty, gun-toting adventurers and cowboys riding off into the unknown, uncharted land. Uh, Since the days of Lewis and Clark, Americans have been fascinated with the frontier and pushing out our boundaries. The past popularity of movies and TV westerns is just one thing that shows us that we love adventure and we are always looking for a new frontier. 
I grew up loving to watch Indiana Jones. It's one of my favorite movies as a child. Uh, my grandfather used to watch a lot of westerns. Didn't matter what was on TV. If it was a western, he was watching it. Cubs baseball and westerns. You can walk by any retirement community, any nursing home, and I'd be willing to bet. I'm not a gambling man, but I'd be willing to bet that some gun smoke or some bonanza is going to be on a TV somewhere in that home. And it's not just for our seasoned saints. Some of our less seasoned saints find popularity in that. One of the most popular games out right now is called Red Dead Redemption 2. And that's about uh, uh, somebody dusty and cowboy-like out on the wild frontier. Uh, and for the younger folks in the audience, any of y'all want to smoke, I'll give you my gamer tag after service and you can get this work. Uh, Xbox 360, Xbox One. I, we can go. Uh, we can go retro. I got a Nintendo NES Classic. You can you can come get the work. That wasn't part of the sermon. I just thought I'd put that out there right now. Still got it. But the Wild West. The thought of the frontier, the thought of exploration is popular. Uh, in 1893, there was a historian by the name of Frederick Jackson Turner that said that this was a frontier mindset that formed the unique vision for American democracy with its emphasis being on coarseness and strength, like a rough, rugged, and tumble-type person. Uh, this, this, this acuteness, this, uh, this practical incentive turn of mind. Uh, the, the, the masterful grasp of material things, that restless, nervous energy, that dominant individualism. He said, we like our cowboys. Uh, we still like our cowboys. You can go up 45 and what's going on now? The rodeo. Yep. <laughs> we like these kind of traits. And all of these traits that are in this, 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 these, these people, the, the results and the influence of the frontier. And Turner believed that the physical frontier closed in 1890. But the mindset remained. Imagine that. A time passing. But the people longing for that time, wishing it was still that time, even though that time has passed, they still wish it was that time. Maybe they could wish to make that time great again. Is the microphone still working? I'm reminded of a story my uh, wife told me once. She went to a, a mops meeting and and uh, that's a short MOPS mothers of preschoolers it's a way for moms to connect that have small children that aren't old enough to go to school and they were talking about uh, what time uh, what time period rather did they wish they could live in and everybody around the table was talking about wanting to live in the 20s and the 30s and 
the 40s and the 50s and all of these time periods back in in uh those <laughs> they they wanted to live back in the 1800s and and all of these times back then and it got around to my wife what's everybody laughing for what's, what's I'm just I'm just talking and my wife said no I I'd, I'd like to live now I'd, I'd like to live now. But we long for this time of the past. And we continue to push that mindset. In fact, we put that frontier mindset on other things. Uh, uh, the, there's the last frontier of the Alaskan wilderness. And there are those who go deep sea diving in, in submarines and everything because they want to go to these uncharted areas. They want to discover something new. And for my Star Trek fans... Uh, Captain Kirk would say at the beginning when the show came on, space, the what? The final frontier. We're a people forged by crossing boundaries and seeking to extend our ideas and ideals into other places. Of course, there's a downside to that kind of thinking. Uh, We've come to understand that the doctrine of manifest destiny which emerged as a belief of the expansion of the settlers across America would erase the frontier and remake the continent into our own little paradise, or their own little paradise, from sea to shining sea. You step on one side of land from the ocean and you think that you own that land from this ocean all the way to the next ocean. And the problem with that thought and that kind of thinking is that sometimes one person's frontier is somebody else's home. You might discover someplace, even though somebody else discovered it long before you. And then there are people still living there. And this one person's frontier uh, uh, being somebody else's home produces what conflict and gives birth to sad historical consequences. America's own frontier expansion came at the expense of Native Americans who considered themselves citizens of the land. It's little wonder that the colonialism and the frontier expansion have negative connotations in the 21st century. I always find it interesting when we try to take this mindset about closing borders and telling people that we live in America and we need to speak English. I I would rather somebody say we live in America, we probably need to speak Cherokee or or, or Blackfoot or Spanish. We live in Texas. The people who were living here during that time did not cross the border. The border crossed them. This was Mexico one day, and then the next day they woke up and it was Texas. Is the check, check, is the microphone still working? Frontier mindset can have some negative connotations. That kind of thought process can be bad for us and for them. But Paul was trying to, in the text, 
when he was writing to the church at Philippi, let them know that there's a way to be a frontier thinker without damaging everything. There's a way to change that way of thinking. What if there was a way that everybody could see themselves as citizens of a country or kingdom no matter where they happened to live? See, you live in one spot, but your citizenship is somewhere else. You're in an environment that wasn't made for you, but you're designed and, and working in that environment. That's what Paul was trying to push for in his letter to the Philippian church. Uh, in the first century, there were frontiers of the Roman Empire who were continually expanding. They brought a lot of stuff to the, to the road. They brought highways and plumbing to places that didn't have plumbing, and they did a lot of good. But they, they took over places where people were already living. Roman army showed up to places and basically said, you can roll with us or you can get rolled over. And so these people were, the Roman Empire was continually expanding. And some of the places where Paul was going around to visit and preach, like Philippi, were frontier settlements that were colonized by Roman citizens. And instead of acting like a historian that supported the Roman colonization, Paul was an adventurer himself. He was armed with the gospel and was pushing his own version of manifest destiny, if you will, for the expansion of the spiritual frontier. For him, the most important frontier was the one that God had opened up in sending his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, into the world. And that was a move to colonize everybody into the kingdom of heaven. Uh, moving to colonize earth with the life of heaven, breaking down the spiritual borders instead of closing them of sin and death and extending to us a new life in the life of heaven and a home to all that would embrace this invasion of love. For Paul, coming, the coming of Jesus was not about taking people back to some heavenly home. It was about it bringing the establishment of God's kingdom and expanding God's kingdom on earth. So he was colonizing, but it was for a different colony. He was talking about a kingdom, but he was talking about a different kingdom than these people would have been used to. He gave them a new goal. Let the church say goal. Uh, he said for them to pattern their lives after him. Join him in imitating Christ. He's imitating Christ. You should imitate him. So you are imitating Christ. Uh, this is a, a, a figure whose image we're supposed to model and copy ourselves after. And Paul tells us to join him. Some translations uh, say to join him. Uh, in, in what he says, because he's telling them to imitate Jesus, and that's not what was done in your reading. I started at verse 16, I mean 17, but verses 7 through 16 talk about how we need to be followers of Christ. And he says, I'm following Christ. Why don't you do what I'm doing? Uh, 
And he tells us to imitate Jesus by imitating Paul. And he's reiterating what he's been talking about in these verse verses. And some translations say to be imitators with me when he says to join me in imitation. Uh, it says to be imitators with me. Some translations say to follow my example. But it's a pattern our lives after him. Not, Paul is not saying that he is perfect in the sense of being without flaws, but rather mature. Uh, that word that's used over and over again in the Bible for perfect, uh, it has many translations, many meanings. Uh, maturity, achievement, uh, the accomplishment of a goal, the pursuit of perfection. It doesn't mean that you've arrived. It means that you are constantly pushing towards a goal. You are constantly trying to make yourself a better Christian. You are constantly trying to make yourself a better person. It doesn't mean you arrived. It means you're working towards that goal and you're not going to stop working towards that goal until you are finished with your race. Uh, he's not saying he's without flaws. Uh, but that word is also the Hebrew counter, uh, uh, when it talks about imitation, uh, the Hebrew counterpart for the word that's used also means to walk with. Walk with me. Imitate me. Pursue perfection with me. Be like Christ with me. Grow in maturity with me. Join me in this example because the example is not Paul. The example is Christ. And then he says uh, there's a command. Let the church say command. Uh, he, he talks about joining in and following examples and doing things with me. You can't do that by yourself. Mm, there it is again. There it is again. The, 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 we got to live in community. Some of us are trying to be super Christians by ourselves. We're trying to get it all done without anybody else. I would argue that's why some of us sit home on Sundays and sit home a bunch of other days in the week and live in neighborhoods where we don't know our neighbors' names. Because we all trying to do everything by ourselves. But the Bible tells us time and time again, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. How can two people walk together unless they agree? Uh, love the Lord with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, take care of the widows and the orphans that your religion can be pure and undefiled in this world. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you came to visit me. All of this thing, all of these verses and all of this stuff that we call in Christianity uh, involves us working with other people. The Great Commission tells us to go out into the world and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're going to be a believer. <laughs> you're going to have to deal with some people. And sometimes you're going to have to deal with some people that don't think like you. You might not even get along with them at first. But join with me. Imitate with me. Walk with me. The command is to be out in community. See, we can look at the Bible 
And these, these, these people in the Bible, they're distant. Thousands of years ago, it's words on paper. It's a, it's a high ideal. We can think about that and say, hmm, that's good. It's a whole lot different when we got to walk it out. It's one thing to say, love your neighbor. But it's a whole nother thing to actually love your neighbor, as in the one that you can see their house when you walk out to get the mail. That's whole, see, when we read in the preach, pastor, oh yeah, that's good ideals, and then go, go somewhere to eat afterwards, and these is great, but the actual practical application, actually dealing with some of those people, that's messy. But Jesus did it, and we call ourselves followers of Jesus, so we are too. Uh, we look at these people in the distance and it's a different time with different problems and, and, and we allow ourselves to make these people our personal saints and give us strength. But don't take us into the harder demands of living as children of God. Paul doesn't point to anybody when he talks about these things. He points to himself and asks for us to walk with him. He points to the community He's writing this letter to a church. He, he started the church. He got the church going and he went somewhere else to start another church. And he wrote a letter back to them about how they're supposed to be acting. We ought to be working together. He points us to the community as it struggles to live according to the mind that was in Jesus Christ. And the community is never a perfect community. He's writing these letters to church folk because church folk ain't getting along. Not the church folk are unique. Folks on the job ain't getting along. Folks in the frat ain't getting along. Folks at the NAACP ain't getting along. Folks at the house with the same address ain't getting along. And so this community is struggling to understand how faith is lived in the world in this particular context. And Paul holds up this struggle as a way of right living. Engage in the faith, in the messiness of life. He says not just individually, but as a community. Look to those in your own community, your neighbor, your friend, maybe even someone you don't particularly like and learn from them the way in which they struggle to live in faith and community as well. It's messy. You know, way, way back in the day when I used to play football at Indianapolis North Central High School and then for about a cup of coffee at Prairie View A&M University, there was something that I did not like to have at the end of practice. That was a clean jersey. Because if you had a clean jersey, I played running back, which meant I had to run the ball, I had to block, I had to go catch, I had to do a whole, I had to get dirty every now and again. If I had a clean jersey, that mean I didn't get in. If I had a clean jersey, that meant I didn't touch the ball because even the ball was dirty. You get a little, little suit on your hand, put it on. We had white jerseys too. We can't be trying to walk through this life with clean jerseys. Uh, 
We got to struggle living in faith and community. And so we had the command, and then there's corruption. Let the church say corruption. Uh, the, Philippine, the Philippians are facing some deadly foes. These foes in verses 18 and 19 are enemies of the cross. Uh, they, they, they word, the world is in destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. And these foes are headed for destruction. Uh, more and more people have a bleak outlook on life uh, these days than before. According to some reports, it says that uh, people are more than twice as likely to identify as atheists than they were a generation before. They're twice as likely to identify as atheists. And, and, they're, and they're reading more, more dystopian, more nihilist stuff that basically says life is horrible and then you die. That's the kind of philosophy that they're dealing with and that, that is more prevalent these days than it was in years past. But they're enemies of the cross. And uh, I find something interesting about the text when he talks about these enemies of the cross. It doesn't say that they're non-believers. You can be an atheist and sitting up in the pew every Sunday. You can be an enemy of the cross and regularly going to church only to stir up stuff. It doesn't say anything about them being non-believers. It doesn't say whether they're Jew or Greek or Roman. It just says enemies of the cross. Doesn't specify the difference. And then it talks about the, their God is their belly. That's a reference to dietary laws in the text. Uh, there, was a, there was a joke amongst the Jewish people when they were talking about because they had so many different dietary laws they were trying to follow. And they would say that uh, basically the, the view of the culture was the way you handled food and the way you handled money said a whole lot about your life. I would argue that that's still something that, that happens today. The way you handle food and the way you handle money can tell you a lot about an individual. Are they willing to help others? Are they tight with it? Are they willing to share with others? Or do they hoard it all for themselves even if they can't get all of it to be put to use on their own? Do they continually spend or eat things that are bad for them because they like the way it makes them feel? Do you beat up other people for how they handle food or money? And so when he talks about their God being their belly and these people being the enemies of the cross, they're basically saying that they're worried about these materialistic things and things that ultimately don't matter. And it's a contrast to one of the other verses in, in the text of, of Philippians that talks about being like Jesus because Jesus emptied himself in order to come down and put on human flesh and live a life that we couldn't live and die a death that we couldn't die and become a perfect sacrifice 
for our lives. So we cannot allow our bellies to be our God. And in contrast uh, to the enemies of the cross, Paul says our citizenship is in heaven. It's in heaven. Paul was a Hebrew, he was a Pharisee, and a citizen of Rome. The word used for citizenship is similar to commonwealth, which meant he was concerned about the general good. It also refers to being a part of a general colony and having citizenship in one area, but being physically from another area. We live right now in Texas, but I would argue that there are a lot of us that are not from Texas. Uh, I happen to run across a lot of people who are either from, or at least they people are from, Louisiana. Uh, And they're from Louisiana, and they're living in Texas. But they brought Louisiana with them to Texas. Uh, They brought that dialect, baby. They brought that gumbo with them. That dirty rice. That Cajun seasoning with them. They brought all of that with them. Even though they're from another area and they're, they're residing in a different area, they brought where they're from, with them. There are those that are from Texas and live other places. They bring that southern hospitality with them to those other places. They bring that barbecue skill with them to other places. They travel and they bring where they're from to where they're at. Their citizenship from where they're at you can go into Houston uh, roundabout Bel Air road on the west side of Houston and you will notice that the street signs are not only in English they brought that with them And in some places, if you walk in, you might get hit with a ni-hao instead of a how are you doing. That's hello in Mandarin. They're bringing where they're from to where they're at. And they're bringing where they're from to where they're at because they don't want to forget where they're from. And they don't want to forget where they're from and they want to bring some of where they're from to where they're at so that they can have a little bit of where they're from where they're at. Uh, they're, They're having these kind of things and I would argue that we are citizens of another place and we need to bring where we're from to where we're at. Ah, I well, what, what you bind on earth, you bind in heaven. I got, got some, some Bible for that. What you loose 
on earth you loose in heaven. This is not just about the by and by. We may be citizens of heaven, but we are in earth and we ought to, instead of work being worried about what's going to happen in the great by and by, be bringing some of that heaven here on earth. We ought to be bringing that many are the righteous are forsaken, but the Lord will carry us through to have that on earth. We ought to be bringing some of that, that we are the head and not the tail, that we are above and never be beneath. We are the lender and not the borrower. We ought to be bringing some of that back to where we are at. We ought to be bringing that we are blessed in the city and blessed in the field and blessed where we come and blessed where we go. We ought to be bringing all of that back to where we are. Because our citizenship is in heaven, but we ought to be bringing heaven wherever we're at. Uh, And he lets them know that our citizenship is in heaven and we have a savior. And and savior, again, we've made all of these terms. And it's interesting as I learn these things, but we've made these terms to be completely spiritual, uh, but they weren't always spiritual. King of kings and Lord of lords was talking about the emperor of Rome during that time. Uh, Last week when we talked about if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, that was a scandalous statement because you were supposed to be saying Caesar is Lord at the time. Uh, uh, the, The term savior was another term uh, back then that Roman emperors called themselves to let everyone know that they were in charge. There was a almost like a cult around the emperor of Rome. And more specifically, the emperor was considered to those people God. And Paul was letting them know in the text that the true savior was Jesus, not the emperor, not the the true savior. So it didn't matter who sits at 1600 Pennsylvania Street in Washington, D.C. It doesn't matter who is in Austin. It doesn't matter who our county and our elected officials. That doesn't mean don't get civically involved. What that means is we got to reframe who's in charge for us. And Paul was letting these people know that even though you are sitting in a colony under an oppressive ruler, that thinks that he is God, thinks that the sun rises and sets on him, it doesn't matter. Jesus is still your savior. So if we sitting in somewhere under an oppressive ruler who thinks he's God, it doesn't matter. Jesus is still our Lord. Uh, And so we had a new goal. And we had to be in community and we have to deal with the corruption. And after we deal with the corruption, there's a a continuation. Let the church say continuation. Continuation. We are to keep pressing on. We are going to get a new home. We are going to get a new body. The uh, corruptible is going to put on the incorruptible. And the mortality is going to put on the immortality. But while we are waiting, we need 
to stand firm. This is not a command, but rather a suggestion. This is not a suggestion, rather, but it is a command. Because you have a new goal, you need to stand firm. Because you have potential enemies to the cross around you, you need to stand firm. Because your citizenship is in heaven, but you need to be bringing heaven here on earth, you need to stand firm. Because you are going to get a new home, you need to stand firm. Because you are going to get a new body, you need to stand firm. And you are going to stand firm for a new joy, for joy and a new crown. You are going to stand firm because the battle has already been won. You are going to stand firm because you already have the victory. I read verses 4 and 1 but I like when we go all the way to verse 13 in chapter 4 because it says that I can do all things through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. He gave me that strength by what he did over 2,000 years ago. He gave me the strength to stand firm based on that hill called Calvary. He gave me the strength to stand firm in everything that was going on because he took those beatings and he took that death and took all of my sins with him down into the grave. And he got up with all power in his hands. And because he lives and because he's coming back again, we can all stand firm. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open and we invite you to come. Thank you for listening to this message. Be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you found this message. If this message blessed you, be a blessing to someone else and share it. Connect with Pastor Johnny on Instagram and Twitter, and be sure to like Faith UMC Dickinson on Facebook. 